0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. So here's what Lacrosse has recently done. They've taken their 100 plus years of experience to create a new line of lace-up hunting boots called the Navigator Series. Now the Navigator Series comes in two options, the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. Now if you want to find out more about their high-quality awesome boots, you need to go to lacrossefootwear.com. This episode of The Huntivore is also brought to you by musket powder. I've given it a shot on both domestic and wild game. I've put it uh, on eggs. I've worked it into fajitas. It has worked exceptionally well in many different areas. I tell you, this stuff is a general use seasoning that just makes every piece of meat or every product you put it on including veggies just pop so if you go over to uh, musket powder on instagram you follow their link you're able to order some up if you put huntivore h-u-n-t-a-v-o-r-e in the discount code you can get a little uh taken off there for giving it a try Welcome to the Hunterbore Podcast, episode 30. Just add more musket powder. Nick sits down with Generalist Hunter and Kitchen Whiz Ward Danger. Ward has traveled all over pursuing many types of game, including some time in Africa. He has spent some time as a guide, worked in the oil fields, and has put together his very own seasoning blend called Musket Powder. I mean, this guy is a walking, talking storybook of awesome adventures so sit back and enjoy. Hey folks, welcome to another evening. It's a beautiful night here in Michigan. I'm uh digitally sitting across from Ward Hegler or is better known Ward Danger. Ward, thanks for uh joining us this evening.
1: Hey man, um happy to be here i wish i could say i was having the same weather but it's a little bit warmer down here in uh, in fort worth texas so
0: gotcha what are you pushing are you upper 90s down there
1: upper 90s yeah and uh humidity is a little rough um i mean not to sound like two old people but it hasn't been too brutal of a summer but it is still summer and it's still texas and you definitely notice
0: <laughs> i can only imagine stuff down there either yeah it's either gonna bake you or it's gonna try and kill you Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Ward, what's your mild-mannered day job? So, when you wake up in the morning, what do you do?
1: That is a great question. I I wear a lot of hats. Uh, I did uh, a, almost a decade of, of drilling for oil and gas. Uh, I went so many different states. Um, right when I was about to flirt with the idea of going international, the uh, the ten- the the market totally tanked, and um, I got laid off. And I'd been laid off before in the oil and gas industry. And it's I just I'm never going back. I'm third generation, and I'm I'm not going back. So, I now work for a uh, flooring company. Uh, it's called Trinity Floors. It's in Dallas, and uh, I sell hardwood, tile, and carpet. And to uh, give you a, kind of a, a scope of what we do, we do everything from Your house flooded. You need new wood, uh, wood floors, new carpet. Uh, It's an insurance claim. And then right now we're actually doing. You know, there there's there's one end of the spectrum. And then right now one of our projects is we are doing the hardwood that the Dallas Mavericks will be playing on uh, very soon. Oh, cool. We do everything. Um, Everything, but we just don't pour concrete. (laughs) That's about it. So we do everything.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, if it yeah, if it's not rock, you're you're gonna you're gonna throw it down. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and then uh, I'm a weekend worker myself. Um, my father-in-law uh, has about 400 cows. I think the exact number is 396 currently. That could change tomorrow. Um, and he's full time busy, busy, busy. So on weekends, I go down there and help him. Which it doesn't. It's you know, I'll be full disclosure. It's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy working with him. Um, we we have a real good time. It's not very fun right now because it's it's hot. But at the end of the day, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, he's a real smart guy, and I enjoy spending time with him.
0: Yeah, you get into some honest hard labor, and yeah, you know people shy away from it. But at the same time, you feel super accomplished at the end of a long yeah. hard day.
1: And I can I can take what I learned. Working in the oil and gas industry over to ranching, much better than I can take it over to, to wood floors because there's a lot of, you know, tractors broken down and the the nearest parts store is four hours away. Uh, let's let's get some duct tape and let's figure this out. And that happened a lot when I was working on drilling rigs, so it it it, it transferred very well.
0: Excellent, excellent. My first tangent is going to be, um, you know, folks, if you haven't gone over to Ward Danger's uh, Instagram feed, I was I was over there the other day. And, Ward, you have got an epic-looking mustache going on, sir. It is, I tell you, I am baby-faced over here. I got nothing, you know, and I see that. What are some tips? You know, what is there some snake oil that I can put on? You know, do I got to rub something on my face in order to get this stuff to grow?
1: It is uh, that mustache. That mustache. It, it's currently uh, – I'm currently sans mustache right now because I, I try – keep a professional in my job so when I'm going to check on the Mavericks job you you never know if I'm going to run into Mark Cuban I'm not going to have some weird mustache so (laughs) uh, that's never happened but it would happen if I had a mustache but uh what the mustache thing what I do is I'll start growing it and growing it and growing it and uh once a big hunting trip comes the razor comes out it it all started it was kind of like a giant running joke uh one of my best friends Who owns a bow shop in phoenix it's called ross outdoors totally cool place uh he it's his bow shop he and i were each other's uh best men in in our weddings and so we went we did a couple bachelor parties for him and a couple bachelor parties for me and then some mutual friends and we made this kind of like a running tradition where every bachelor party we go on we're going to carve a gnarly mustache and it just it just kind of went from there um and now every year Preferably twice to three times a year, we get together to hunt. <laughs> this last hunting, last fishing trip we did a few weeks ago, we went gar fishing, and I had the email chain going. I'm like, okay, everyone's working on their mustache, right? And everyone replied, oh yeah, no problem, sure, no problem. And so I was growing out this gnarly caterpillar, and um, I picked him up at the airport, and everyone was basically baby faced, and I was like, y'all gotta be <laughs> kidding me. So here I am looking like i have you know a buffer zone on a school and i'm <laughs> got this creepy mustache and everyone else looks totally normal um so i i kept it i owned it my my wife is not impressed when i when i pull it out let's just put it that way
0: she's not a fan of the mustache
1: i mean every now and then usually like day three or four she's like you know i kind of like it and then i've got a meeting and i gotta get rid of it so um uh, but <laughs> yeah in general she's she's not a fan no
0: <laughs> gotcha so you you hail down from Texas. Um, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to help us upper Midwest because we feel like Texas is this different country, you know, size and scale of everything is just massive. You never know what's going to come around the corner, whether it's going to be, you know, a, a normal cow or, you know, for heaven's sakes, it could be some emu that walks over. Um, Tell me a little bit about living down in Texas, especially on the hunting side. Um, are, are our assumptions accurate that there's just, you know, ranches of huge scale and you just have every kind of exotic at your disposal?
1: So I'm not good at much, but if there's something I'm good at, it's it's going to be answering this question. And and the reason why is, is because uh, – the reason why is because – I am not a texas native um i don't have like a texas pride to beat my chest about uh love this place it's a great place to raise a family go hunting make a living uh i was born in arizona i lived in mississippi lived in texas did a quick stint in north dakota did a quick stint in louisiana hunted and fished all those places Um, so but i've been frequenting texas my entire life i've got family here uh, and I've had a lot of very first events in my life happen here. First deer killed, first turkey hunt. Uh, but Texas, like, as you mentioned, it's a really strange place. The, the deeper you dig, it's like the Da Vinci Code when it comes to hunting and fishing. Um, as you mentioned, you have no idea what's around the corner. And, and some parts of the state, it's its entire ecosystem. I mean, you have you have every kind of, like, uh, what do you call it, geographical Geographical setting you could ever imagine. So, like some parts of the state, like the hill country, where the the 10 foot uh, high fence is super popular on both sides of the of the highway, um, you'll see animals that that you thought were extinct. You're like, I could have sworn I saw that on the PETA website recently. Uh, now, however, like and one of those am- uh, animals, for example, is a this elk looking animal called the Pier David. I don't know what its native Chinese name is, but over here, we call it the pier, David. Um, I'm, I'm about 90% sure that it is extinct in China due to overhunting and deforestation. No way. Uh, I, I'm Don't quote me on that. You might want to fact check that. But if they're not extinct, there's like two left. Uh, but they're all over. They're all over Texas. Uh, they're a crazy looking animal. It's, it's a Chinese elk is what it is. And you see them all over the 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 hill country. Um, And it's just crazy because it's extinct in its motherland, but here in Texas, they're absolutely thriving. And I I think they have made efforts to reintroduce them from Texas populations. Uh, And then you, you mentioned the scale of the state, as I kind of mentioned before, it's crazy. Like there's, there's parts of Texas where if I put a blindfold on you and, you know, we got on a fully funded private jet tour day, Texas, and uh, which would be awesome. Um, and you know, I took off the blindfold and I said, okay, where are we? You'd say, Oh, we're in Louisiana. We're in a swamp, Kermit, the frogs playing the banjo over there. Like it, you know, rescuers down under is over there. And, but that's, that's not it. It's just a Cypress swamp with alligators and snakes and Cajuns. But then we can go to a whole nother part of the state and I could take the blindfold off and you'd say, Oh, we're in New Mexico or Arizona. Like there's an elk right there and there's a mule deer and, there's cactus and like, no, that's, that's West Texas. That's big bend. And then it goes all the way to the point where there's parts of uh, parts of West Texas, especially the lower part where I could take off the blindfold and you'd say, okay, this is, this is uh, the outskirts of Baghdad because it's just (laughs) pure sand sand is. (laughs) Yeah. Not, I'm not saying it's the Baghdad because you know, that'd be a little bit, um, a little bit more uh, you know, Unsafe, but for the record, <laughs> I've I've never been. But um, it's uh, you know sand sanded. It's, it looks like the Middle East. Um, and so I mean, there's there's so many different different ecosystems in this state. It's it's crazy. And there's even like snow and blackberries in the Panhandle. Wow. Yeah, and pronghorn antelope. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's its entire uh, ecosystem going on in that state. It's it's crazy. It's it's crazy. I mean, they've got they've got bighorn sheep. They've got I believe it's desert bighorns. Um, It shouldn't be stone or dolls, but yeah. And then they let go a bunch of uh, Barbary sheep or Odet, as we call them, in that area, and they're an exotic, and everyone thought it was cool. And now they're an invasive animal, and you can't get rid of them because they are essentially a mountain goat. I mean, sheep hunting is hard, and they're everywhere. So it it's it is this state is crazy with the the ecosystem, and then all these you know every time there's a flood, some guy loses all of his exotics and you never know you never know as you couldn't have put it better. You never know it's around the corner. I've seen animals on uh, my father-in-law's ranch and I was like okay here's a funny story when my now wife and I were dating I was out there with him and we were doing work uh, you know just regular cattle work and I ran down the pasture to go pick something up or something and I saw the biggest doe I've ever seen in my life. I was like, something's something's not right. And I, I put in my binos and uh, I looked at him like that. That's like an elk or something. That's that's just huge. And being from Arizona, I can identify an elk. And I was like, man, that's not an elk either. And I figured it. That's got to be a red stag. But I was too scared to tell my father-in-law that I saw a red stag because then he's gonna be like, oh. Sure you did. And then he's gonna go back to my now wife and say, Hey, that guy you're dating is on drugs, and you can't see him anymore. <laughs> he, does, he's yeah, he
0: doesn't know left from right. <laughs> yeah, he's
1: an idiot. He thought a doe was an L. I mean so I just kept my mouth shut. I actually recently told him about it the other day and he got a good laugh out of it. Because they've been showing up more and more, they've been reproducing. So now we have this small free range herd of, of red stag on our uh, on his ranch. Wow,
0: that's yeah that's that's really cool.
1: Yeah. For sure. And not to mention, like, people breed these whitetails in these high fence, you know, whitetail resorts uh, for the deer. You know, these deer are are kept so comfortable. And, um, you know, that's not going to, it doesn't matter how much money you have into this deer, that's not going to stop a flood or a tornado from ripping that fence out. And there's crazy deer genetics all over the state that people worked for generations to perfect. And then all of a sudden, someone left the gate open. And now that. You
0: know, to that desired trait of, is on is this on, west end of Texas <laughs> <on> <laughs> for everybody. Village,
1: yeah, I killed a deer last year that had one, two, three, it had three drop times, and one of the drop times had a split. I mean, and we have a low fence operation.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. You never, you couldn't have said it better, my friend. You do not know it's around the corner.
0: Well, good. I'm glad that all my assumptions have been at least, uh, you know, cleared as as fact because that's i i'm excited to come down at some point and that's uh oh, yeah i'm glad that you're saying all this stuff and being a, a non-native to uh texas and be, you know moving into that place and to hear the story of of how it is that's that's great it's an awesome landscape and uh, an awesome landscape needs uh some really acclaimed diverse hunters and that's uh <laughs> you're a self-proclaimed diverse hunter uh, you've got quite the hunting portfolio. How did uh, how did you get involved into hunting? Did you have a mentor or something that got you involved in hunting, and then just it stuck from a young age, or did you well, pick my, it up later my, in life?
1: My dad, uh, my dad taught me a lot about hunting, um, and he was uh, we you know when we lived in Arizona, he, we bird hunted a lot, and the big game opportunities weren't uh, weren't great. You know, we never got drawn for tags. And the older I get, my dad passed away when I was young. So, like, I, you know, you have so many questions, but um, I, I'm starting to wonder if he even put in because, um, <laughs> you know, as so, the, so moving forward, uh, uh, when my dad passed away, there was a guy who lived down the street from me. And he was a young guy, probably, God, he must have been, he's probably my age now when I met him. Uh, 34, 35, and he was from Minnesota and he moved to Arizona. Uh, I think he was chasing a girl or something. And, uh, he is just a maniac hunter and he's from a small town in Minnesota and they, all they did was hunt and fish. And so he had a son who was the guy that I previously mentioned. I was best man his way and he was best man of mine. So he and I were close and then his dad started taking me hunting. Now I, I, I give my my late father full credit for introducing me to hunting. Uh, however, I give this guy's name is Ross Richards. Uh, he he, uh, he made me completely psychotic, like just addicted to hunting. Uh, and he took me on some crazy, crazy, crazy hunts. I, I can't even remember what I ate for breakfast, but I can remember. Some of the stuff that we did on these hunts where, I mean, just like we were, we were too young to be doing some of the stuff we were doing. He would just drop us off. One time he dropped us off on the side of highway 89. I might've been driving by that. I can't remember, but, and he's like, okay, you know, go good luck. And we did our first backcountry hunt when we were 16, which might not be a big deal from a, a kid from Montana or something like that. But for, you know, two city boys from Phoenix, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> oh and, yeah. And, uh,
0: yeah. where do we go
1: yeah and so we had like a gps marking kind of and then of course the gps ran out of batteries i mean just everything went wrong and uh, i mean it just god it was so fun looking I, I i i owe that guy everything i mean i wouldn't be having this conversation with you if it wasn't for that guy that's awesome. And then he open, yeah. Then he opened that bow shop, Ross Outdoors, in Phoenix, and his son runs it now. And it's it's just it's we're we're family. Those are the guys that I went gar fishing with that bailed on me to grow mustaches. So,
0: gotcha, gotcha. Um, so yeah, you, you've become this psychotic. You've been you've been over into to Africa even. What con- have you been? What are the countries that you've been to and uh, done some hunting in?
1: Uh, okay, so just hunting internationally I've been to canada let me just preface something for the listeners i used to be single and i used to make a lot more money than i make now so (laughs) i used to have i used to have like zero bills because i worked on a drilling rig i worked two weeks on two weeks off and then i stayed in uh my mom's guest house so i had literally no overhead um so i don't want your listeners to think i had a silver spoon I, I i worked really hard and made some cash and i blew it all i should have saved it but um hey I've been you've got what... quite the
0: experience i think you know you've, <laughs> you've saved it as far as like experiences go
1: yeah hopefully that cashes out um <laughs> <laughs> so i've been uh, i did a wolf hunt in canada that was a disaster but a lot of fun it was negative 25 i believe it was the coldest i saw it um One guy on that trip got a dog. Uh, I've been to South Africa. So I went to South Africa in 2008, and I made friends with one of the trackers on the, the hunting party. And then he and I became really, really tight. And he would come to the States, and I would go to South Africa, and he'd stay at my house, I'd stay at his house. So I've been going to South Africa since 2008, about every other year, every two years or so. And with the average guy's paying for one of these trips. I mean, I I don't even pay, I pay like a plane ticket and some various expenses cuz his family's uh, they're farmers and so you know, we they have the land already and man, I'm not going to lie. It's it's a pretty sweet deal. He and I uh, he and I are, are good friends and he comes here and I take him fishing and hunting and I go there and he takes me fishing and hunting and I I could never afford a, a regular it's like safari the only reason i get to go is because i've got a really really good friend over there you
0: got a good contact yeah um reason i even went to this is uh you went on a you you hunted a giraffe (laughs) that that blows my mind i want to know the story of of how you stalked an animal that's you know basically a tree
1: yeah it's funny you mentioned tree and you'll see where the tree will come in. He started with a tree and I'll end it with a tree. Uh, so that giraffe has a story. I get so much, uh, so much trash talking from my buddies about that giraffe and, and rightfully so. I, I'd give one of my friends a hard time too, but there there is a story behind it. Uh, I got no pleasure at that, (laughs) but this giraffe was a local giraffe that everybody knew and it had this was its third year where it had had a baby and the giraffe couldn't produce milk and that's its third calf that had died and my buddy was going to shoot it and he's got uh, a bunch of folks that work for him and you know what a what a better way. I mean, I'd love my boss if he gave me free food. I mean, so what they do is like, if there's a cold animal, an animal needs to be cold, they shoot it and their employees get to take home all the meat. Well, a giraffe will keep everybody happy forever. So he was going to shoot it. And, uh, and then he called me, he's like, Hey, do you want to shoot a giraffe? And I, I thought nothing about it. I was like, yeah, why not? I don't care. And, uh, we got there and, uh, he's like, here's the you know, we, we did like you said, it's like stalking a tree. I mean, we just you know those cartoons where the like the the cartoon character kinda like turns into a bush and then like goes a couple steps and stops and goes a couple steps and stops. Yeah. That's exactly what it was like. Except without the the, the music. Like the do 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 We we did like we just went tree to tree to tree. And the whole time I'm sure this giraffe was like what in God's name were they doing? Because it's a giant periscope, if you think about it. Exactly.
0: He's up there just, or she's up there watching you the entire
1: time. Yeah. And uh, finally, she was like, okay, I've had enough of this. And and she starts walking off. And my buddy was like, you have to shoot her right now. And I almost didn't want to because I felt bad, but I knew I would have gotten so much ridicule. And so he told me, he's like, what you do is you make your first shot has to be absolutely perfect. And so aim for the heart. And he kind of gave me an idea where to aim. And a hard on a giraffe is absolutely huge. So if you miss that, you've got much
0: bigger problems. <laughs> There's more to the, more things yeah, you need to work on.
1: <laughs> way more. And uh, so he told me, once you fire that shot, reload and put your scope up. And it's just like hog hunting because when you're shooting, hogs are running. And what I always tell people is don't wait for a perfect shot. If your red dot is touching a uh, pig, pull the trigger. So he told me. Reload and then once your crosshairs touch giraffe skin, pull the trigger, reload, repeat. And I fired, and the giraffe went straight up, like when you do a perfect heart shot on a deer.
0: Yeah, they do the back
1: kick. Yep, it went up. Yeah, yeah. And then it it went down, and it took off running. Reloaded, shot. Reloaded, shot again. And like I said, we're gonna do the segue with the tree. It hit a tree. And it didn't break the tree in half. It didn't knock branches off. It took out the roots and everything as if a giant storm had gone through. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, you know those tackling dummies in, in high school football where you hit them with your shoulder?
0: Yeah. That's basically hit, what that tree was.
1: Yeah. She hit that tree just like a tackling dummy, and you just watched all the roots come flying out. And it was a it was a pretty substantial tree. Wow. And it went down, and then the work started as they say, oh yeah, there were yeah, there were a lot of winches involved. Um, it was it was an event for sure, and uh, we we cut a lot of neck meat off, and um, and we cooked it, and it was it was it was incredible.
0: I was just gonna ask. Now, do you at least get a, a piece of steak off that? What? Yeah, yeah. Describe so we, giraffe we to me. Ha-
1: <laughs> we didn't have time to uh, like you know get a prime steak or anything like that. Like we we're just skinning it out. And my buddy took a knife and just cut like what looked like an elk backstrap off the neck. I <laughs> mean, it was just <laughs> massive. And we cut it up and you know, knowing what I know now, I would have done it so different. Um, but we just unfortunately I'm embarrassed to say this, we we crock potted it with vegetables and it was oh I'm gonna kick myself for saying this. It was a lot it was like pulled pork, but it was really good. Awesome. That's that's yeah. great. It was really I mean you knew you weren't eating pork, but it had the same like kind of stringiness. Gotcha, the
0: consistency of it.
1: Yes, that's the word I'm looking for, yeah.
0: So along with being this this hunter that's been all over the place, gone after exotics, both in I mean, here in the States and then even now abroad into South Africa, you also know your way around the kitchen. What kind of what kind of training do you have? As far as being a chef, or is this just all self-taught?
1: Uh, okay, so I always get like nervous because, as you very well, as you so nicely complimented me, I, I've got a, a, a moderate Instagram following, and a lot of it is uh, a lot of it's hunting, a lot of it's cooking when I'm not hunting. And people ask me questions all the time, and I'm just like, I've never thought about that, and I'll I'll Google it. And I always get full disclosure. I say, man, I have no idea, but I looked into it, and here's what I found. So I'm not by any means a trained professional. And I try to make a point uh, when I cook things on Instagram to say, like, hey, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. If you know how to do this or if if your grandpa did this, like, please send me a DM and and tell me. If I'm doing it wrong, tell me. I've had a lot of people be like – you humiliated yourself on your story because you're not supposed to do this, this, and this. I'm like, oh, dang, too shit. <laughs> so it's you know, it's it's. I've got some hard knocks, and I appreciate every one of them for sure. Um, but my mother started me cooking when we were kids. My mom's a, a good, good uh, Norwegian woman who had a bunch of brothers, so I mean, she can cook. Um, and so I guess. I guess i go back, and, and I sent you the recipe. Um, hopefully it'll get there tomorrow, but I, I sent you a recipe for uh, biscuits and gravy. That's that's my mom. She just absolutely crushed that. So she taught me that, and then she, ta- she was a really good baker. I'm not too into baking, but, I mean, my mom was awesome. My dad, uh, he cooked on the grill real well, and he was pretty deadly on the stovetop. Um, but then, uh, then my dad had a best friend – who was super into smoking and, you know, hickory and mesquite and all that jazz. And he taught me a lot about that as well. So between those three people, those, they all got me started. And then the rest has been, uh, books, a lot of YouTube, um, and things like that. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm self-taught because that sounds pretty, uh, pretty, I guess like uh, hoity toity, but, because, you know, you, you'll, I'm never going to be self-taught cause I'm always learning.
0: Right. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah. Uh, so I guess you could say uh, I I've self-educated myself. Now, <laughs> I can tell you firsthand, just because you have an education doesn't mean you learn anything. I went to old Miss for Christ's sake. <laughs> uh, so I, I am self-educated, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. it's That's great to hear because I think that's a lot of, in both my listeners and, and myself, too. I think we come from that same sort of background that we had – mentors or parents that, you know, they, they love to be in the kitchen. And then from there, it's like, just like you said, Oh, so-and-so made it. So I'll give it a shot. Or I read it in a book at one point and try that out. Um, you had a tactic and I think I, we had gone back and forth with it and you had a table of like, Hey, this went really well and this didn't go well. And I saw that and I'm like, dude, I am stealing that idea. That is such a great thing to do, especially for like, you know, if you got an Instagram following and people are looking for you for recipes or what you're doing to be able to say, hey, this went really well. Watch out for this stuff because I did this wrong. I thought that was a super humble move um, on your part. But with that same thinking, has that helped you? uh, in your own cooking, being able to come back and self critique what you've made.
1: You know, that, that was actually the day I decided I really liked you is when you you said, I'm stealing this. It's was like, Oh, (laughs) I like this guy. Um, but yes, as I mentioned before, I've, I've so much going on my mind all the time that sometimes I forget things. So my Instagram page, uh, the, I have two, I have one, which we'll get into later, and then for my company. And then I have another one that's just my personal page. But I do all my cooking on my personal page, and that's at word danger, as you mentioned. But what it what I do is I catch myself all the time. Uh, and I'll cook a dish, and then I'll save it to my highlights. And the highlights would be like, you know, uh, venison biscuits and gravy, uh, sous vide venison, uh, crockpot this, fried that. And I'll forget how I did it, and I'll go – through my highlights and be like, oh, there it is, and click on it, and then read it, and be like, oh yeah, that's right. I, uh, you know, I put, it, you know, I put four tablespoons of salt, but I said it was too salty, so let's just try two this time. And and that helps, um, you know, that helps me personally. But the whole idea is that it helps people that that watch my stuff. So when they watch it, they go, okay, he put four tablespoons on it or teaspoons on it, and hopefully they watch it to the end. And it's like, okay, he said it was too salty, so let's just try two. Or, you know, he cooked it three minutes per side, but it, it came out a little undercooked, so let's do three and a half minutes, uh, things like that. And so it just gives me a reference. Um, you know, rosemary masked out the flavor of, of, of the quail, just things like that. So let's try something else. Let's try thyme. Let's try parsley. Let's try a different herb that's not going to be so masking. Um, or less rosemary. So, I mean, there's just, you can never, ever, ever stop critiquing and learning. You, you can't, you can't master anything. Um, you can only, you can only get better. Yes.
0: And I think we're just even, I mean, as millennials here, we're, we use this as a tool. Yeah, it's social media, but at the same time, like, yeah, I want to make something unique, something different. And, you know, just the community we have of hunters and fishers who, are also amazing in the kitchen. It's just been a great resource. I think that the old adage of wild game tastes bad—it's gamey—is is dying at a very alarming rate. Like the word gamey, I don't think applies to to anything. It's like, well, you can go back and try it again and find a dis- different rep- recipe, or you know, you, you treated it a little wrong. But yeah, there's such a wealth of info, and you've really helped out with that, especially just to be able to have. a simple tool of a table of this went really well. This is what you need to change on it. So that's, it was just a neat, simple trick that I was like, that that's so cool.
1: (laughs) I appreciate that. Technically you could, uh, attribute that to us starting a conversation. So it, it, you know, it does not only help people, uh, or help myself for that matter. For all I know, no one looks at my stuff, Uh, but it helps me cook better, but it also, you know, got us in contact and now we're buddies talking.
0: Yeah, this is great.
1: It it does. It does a lot of things.
0: All right. I'm going to bring it back around to Texas. Um, okay. Want to talk about some wild pig here real quick. That's, um, again, being up here in the upper Midwest, uh, you know, we, we get jealous. I think really what it is, is we're jealous because right now it's August and, yeah, I can fish and I can do stuff, do stuff like that, but I, there's no big game hunting and I go through all these pages and I just see people down south or, you know, guys like you down south smoking, smoking hogs and sows. And it's like, Oh, I just want to be down there doing that. Um, is our pigs a problem or are they an opportunity in your mind?
1: Okay. Great question. Um, this topic is, in my opinion, and for the record, I'm going to start out by saying everything on the subject of pigs, and really everything that we've talked about, is my opinion. Someone out there will disagree with me, and that's fine, because there's a really good chance I'm wrong. There's people out there that know more than me, and there's people out there more experienced than me, and instead of you know puffing your ego out, you should probably listen. Uh, that being said, as a guy who's a decent cook and a guy who is a decent hunter, I, I You know, okay, a lot of people, there's this mythological question. If you could press a button and make all the wild pigs disappear. Um, That's been mentioned on other hunting podcasts. Yeah. And uh, I'm appalled when people say that they wouldn't press that button or wave the wand. Because, in my opinion, pigs do so much damage to people... Like there's a guy. I, I live in Fort Worth. I live in I live in the city, and my neighbor shoots pigs, and he's a dentist. Okay, he he does not care about um, the uh, unrepairable, uninsurable, keyword there crop damage that the pigs did to the guy at the farm over. Um, he is unaware of the fact that fa- uh, pigs will eat everything. Like. I mean everything I have shot pigs before and have killed pigs off their gut pile the next day. Uh, they eat ground nesting birds. They, um, they eat the eggs from, uh, they'll eat baby quail. There is trail camera pictures I've never seen with my own eyes. It could be Photoshopped. I doubt it. There are trail camera pictures of them eating fawns. Um, they absolutely destroy what they can destroy. It's not it's not what they what they do destroy, it's what they don't destroy. I, I can't really think I mean they destroy everything. We have we're constantly dealing with pigs. We plant hay, we plant coastal hay, and we plant winter wheat, and we we yield our yield isn't that high. And we use that, those crops to feed our cows. And we have to take into effect that the pigs are going to destroy a huge amount of it uh, there's even a story when i was drilling when i was drilling for oil in this small town called Catula, texas it's in way south texas there was a sign on the one of like maybe two gas stations in that town and it was like an ad- advisory sign that rattlesnakes i don't know if this is true or not i just throwing that out there that rattlesnakes have stopped rattling because when they rattle, the pigs hear that, and they come and eat the rattlesnakes.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: I have seen with my own eyes a rattlesnake bite a pig, and I saw the pig not care. So I believe it. I really do believe it. Um, if they are To answer your question, they are a problem. If I could press a button, I would press the button twice to make sure it worked. Um, however, I don't have that button. So I have a lot of fun with it. <laughs>
0: Good deal. Wait, it's wait, a healthy wait. dose of, because I, like, again, on these other podcasts, other shows, like, we see the one side of it, and where it's, no, they wouldn't press the button. So it's it's um, refreshing to at least have somebody on the opposite side to be like, no, this is this is a definite problem. We plant twice as much crop because we have to yep. account for the damage that they're going to do. So, the
1: only regret, the only regret I have, is that there are people who get a much more affordable source of protein from the wild hog issue, um, and if I press that button, those people would be denied that protein. But the uh, so that would be the only thing I'd think about because, yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't want someone to go hungry, but
0: right, and uh, that's that the There are a lot of quote unquote that, opportunity that's been created by right. this issue.
1: Well, I mean, but there's also some people that are of. Uh, not so highly economic standings that depend on wild pigs to live. So, I mean, that would be a big issue while I'm wiping the sweat off my uh, forehead and about to push the button. So that, that is, there are people that, I mean, breakfast that eat a lot, eat a lot of pig, not to say breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but quite a bit. So. Gotcha. That is, that is a caveat to it.
0: So when you're out there having fun, taking some pigs out, what is your desired eater? are you going for the big ones or are you, are you liking a smaller one?
1: I, I I am a piglet guy. Um, They are hard to hit (laughs) about 99.9% of the pigs I shoot are on the run because we're driving around in the Polaris checking fences, feeding cows, you know, and then we also hunt out there. So, you know, we're messing with deer stands and things like that. And so they've already heard you and they're running. So, a uh, low-power variable optic, like a 1x6 or even like a red dot, is my preferred optic on a rifle. I keep it on one power. Or if it's a red dot, I just keep it as as is. And um, a full clip, a full magazine. Gun guys will freak out if you see a clip. Full magazine. <laughs> and um, you, you got to put a good, good lead on them. I mean, a good one. If you think you're leading too much, lead a little bit more, and then you'll hit them and uh but those little ones are so hard to hit on the run and then when you do hit them you sometimes it's not the best place shot and you've ruined the pig uh so trapping comes into play we've got a couple traps and i set them here and there and uh, i'll keep the piglets for sure the piglets are delicious especially a female piglet they're real good
0: gotcha and that point you kind of go with the um slaughterman technique where it's you know you make the x between the eyes and the ears and just put it down that way
1: yeah, real quick, real humane. I'm not gonna lie. If you're the last one to go in the trap, you're probably stressed out, but <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be over fast. So,
0: gotcha, gotcha. So now, are you cooking the net? Is that gonna be one of those uh, whole hogs where you, you roast those and smoke those, or are you gonna part it <laughs> out at that point?
1: Um, so I like to part them out. Uh, the last piglet I did was a running pig, and he he wasn't well put together when I got to him. Uh, but I, you know, I had my pocket knife on me and I just got to work real fast and I was able to salvage, uh, two hindquarters. And, um, I, I did a, like, and I'm talking, these are little, these, these little hindquarters, these piglets are small and they looked like really, really big pork chops. They looked like the biggest pork chop you've ever seen in your life, but it was a whole hindquarter, if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, man, I, it's on my Instagram story. I think it's called, a my highlights I think it's called Piglet and Beans maybe. Um and it was it was so good. <laughs> oh my God. It was so good. But if I shoot, if I see a big group of pigs and I put down, you know, full magazine, I'm on my A game, I'm shooting well, and I put down, you know, five or six, you gotta be a little choosy as to which one you're gonna take home because um some people get pretty upset about the fact that a lot of pigs are just sitting there rotting, but I've got news for those folks. A, a lot of those pigs don't taste very good. And that's where I'm gonna piss off a few folks because there are people on this planet, and they might be right, uh, that say every single pig tastes good. I, I personally don't agree with that. Um, so I'm a little bit choosy with my pigs. Uh, but if, there's, if I had to make a choice, it would 10 times out of 10 be a female, And I'd say 50% of the time be less than less than 50 pounds. I'll do if it's a hundred is my cutoff. If I see a a young female that's less than a hundred pounds and I've got something coming up, like, Hey, you know, I've got a bunch of people coming into town. This would be a lot of fun. I'll grab her for sure.
0: But above that, then they start to get kind of sour.
1: I mean, you walk up to them and they smell so bad. And like I said, there are, all on the run when I'm shooting them. So there's a good chance there's a gut shot involved. There's a good chance there's a hind quarter shot involved. Um, And anyone, you know, you can really tell a guy who has no experience is like when they, you know, you have a group of pigs running and you, you ended up wounding half of them and finishing them off with your sidearm. And, you know, you get these comments like, oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. I'm like, okay, you just told me you've never done this before. Yeah so I just you, <laughs> you know, I should just have smile. done I'm this like, okay. Monday
0: morning yeah. quarterback oh I wish I yeah. would have thought of that at that moment in time but
1: yeah and I'll look at the guy's Instagram profile and he's from like you know New Hampshire you know just something like okay pal gotcha loud and clear thank you mm-hmm. thanks for your help
0: and yeah you you look at that too is you know you're shooting animals on the run at that point and like you said a bad shot here and there you you're working in heinous conditions you're at just like you said, 89 or me, 98 degrees humidity's probably stinking high. You've got a, now an animal that you put down that was stressed out and you oh, got shot brutal. at it. You know, it's like the worst setup you could have as far as a butcher at that point. You're like, I'm going to save maybe the, the back straps of it. But other than that, it's like, it's sour by the time you walk up to it.
1: Yeah. You know, I, my father-in-law knows what's going on. And the only thing he asks is that, you know, the big ones I drag out of the pasture because they'll screw up your baler. Uh, <laughs> not, <laughs> not saying that's uh, happened to me. I think I blamed someone else. Hopefully he's not listening to this, but yeah, they'll screw up your baler pretty good. Uh, the big ones will. So yeah, we, we drag them to the edge and, um, they just, they're, you know, they're inedible. Like just cause they're a living creature, it's an invasive destructive creature and doesn't mean that they, they're going to taste good. I mean, badger doesn't taste good. You know, if there's a badger in my front yard, I'm going to shoot it. and I'm not going to eat it. I mean, these pigs are destroying everything. And if I if I cleaned every pig that I've killed, I'd still be cleaning pigs. I, I'd lose my job. I mean, and I wouldn't be able to salvage all the meat. It's like he says, 100 degrees. It's too hot. So, I'll tell you what. I can tell you a story about cleaning pigs. I used to guide on a ranch in the in South Texas uh, during my Christmas breaks, and it was there were so many pigs out there and they did these, uh, wounded warrior hunts, and I was pretty inexperienced, um, you there? Yep. Okay, my bad. I was pretty inexperienced, um, you know, these were high, high, high dollar whitetail hunts, and the last thing someone wants is a college kid who's more than likely was up late last, you know, the night before, you know, misjudging a deer, but they, they, what they did was they let me, uh, they'd have a bunch of wounded, uh, Brooks Army Medical Center was up the road in San Antonio. And so there were a lot of guys coming back from combat. And a lot of them were uh, – they were all Purple Heart recipients. And um, we we had the honor of taking a, a ton of these guys hunting. And you want to talk about fun, I was shooting pigs with those guys. And uh, we were driving back one day, and there were four – this is all legal in Texas, FYI, because there's going to be some people that might freak okay. out. But- <laughs> We had four windows rolled down, with AR-15s out each window, and this big group of pigs ran by, and that was the last thing they did. Uh, there were some trained shooters in the back seat, and we we laid them out, and we had a good time doing it. We loaded them up, we and we took this great picture, and uh, we were gonna. They were all big boars and big sows, and you know we, it's a hundred degrees. We're not gonna keep them, and the ranch manager had a little bit of a complex. All five foot three of them. And, uh, to prove his point that he was in charge, he made me clean every one of those pigs.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. And so he wanted to entertain the Marines. And so he was like, you guys come with me. He has to do all this. And those guys were like, no, we're going to stay with him. Cause they knew what he was doing. And so we got some beer and some music and a knife sharpener. And I cleaned every one of those pigs. And when I took a shower that night, there were millipedes and ticks and everything you could think of in the shower drain. It was Ugh. disgusting. They are filthy animals. They eat everything. You don't – and that's the other thing with, with pigs is that you don't know what they've been eating. A lot of people will catch them with dogs or catch them with a trap, catch them live, and then put them in a pen and feed them corn, oats, table scraps, whatever, that, and, and then get that – get get God knows what out of their system, but – I've, I've been driving down the road, seeing them eating roadkill. Um, like I told you, I've, I've, I've killed them off uh, dead hogs. Um, uh, when like, like you shoot a pig and you wound it and they run off, they'll kill and eat that pig. I've heard that and never seen it, but I've heard that from a lot of people.
0: I yeah, mean, I've seen that on the domestic side where one goes down, the rest of them turn on them very quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've all seen the movie Snatch. I mean, they, they will eat anything. So you don't know what they've been eating. They, they, there's a good chance if it's if it's uh, the ranch I work on, there's a good chance they've been living high on the hog, eating high-dollar corn and protein that's supposed to be for whitetails, so they might taste okay, but, you know, you never know. Yeah, and, and they travel so much. They're not like whitetails where they stick around. So they could be from five miles away, and they just got there that night, and during their five-mile trek, they found a dead gray fox on the road and ate it. I mean, you don't know. You just, you have no idea.
0: It's yeah, a crap it's shoot. Nuts.
1: It's a crap shoot.
0: Is, is there a parasite problem down there? Is, are you finding a lot of either like tapeworms or cysts in the meat uh, because so, of this roadkill or even the um, kind of the cannibalism going on?
1: They can, I know that they can get trigonosis. So you got to, like a domestic pig. And for the record, a lot of people... Don't know this, but the pigs that we're shooting in Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana—that is the exact same pig that's in a, uh, in a in a hog farm in Iowa. It's the exact same animal. Um, Same—I mean, it's exactly the same. So they're susceptible to all the same diseases. Like there's when there's a trigonosis outbreak, you know, they have to kill all the pigs. And same thing, but you, we can't do that in the wild kingdom. We don't know which one has trichinosis, which one doesn't. So some of them have trichinosis. So you got to cook them all the way through, which is fine because they're not really that good medium rare, anyways. Um, I'm going to butcher this one. I hope you don't have any medical professionals as listeners. Uh, uh, Bruce silly brucellosis, I believe brucellosis. Does that ring a bell?
0: Yeah, Bruci- brucellosis. Brucellosis. Something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. So when you're cleaning them, um, you know, <laughs> the CDC says to wear like goggles and a hairnet and like a lab coat and a bubble suit but i mean i'd recommend gloves Uh,
0: (laughs) as far as gloves
1: yeah i'd recommend gloves i've cleaned a lot without gloves and i've cleaned a lot with gloves i'd strongly recommend gloves and i'd strongly recommend cooking it to they say 160 i'd keep it safe and do 165
0: well, good deal. Good deal. That's great. I'm I'm glad you're giving me uh, a little bit of realism down here or from down there cuz you know, we hear about how great it is and yeah, we get this jealousy impact but at the same time we don't we don't see the whole yeah. situation going on.
1: I got buddies in North Dakota and you know, North Dakota when the oil fields up, everyone's making money drilling, but when the oil fields down, you know, what's pretty consistent and despite politics and despite trade tariffs, but what's pretty consistent is farms. I mean, we all need to eat. Um, so he one time said, like, you know, I just wish we had hogs. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no way. It's the last thing you want. And that's why a lot of these states, like North Dakota, it's illegal to kill a wild hog. And the reason why is so someone who, in you know, North Dakota and Texas, are both big oil and gas states. So, you know, we drive back and forth all the time. And that's to stop someone from filling up a horse trailer full of hogs and letting them go in North Dakota because to prevent it.
0: That would be an absolute economic downfall.
1: And here's the thing. They'll live. Negative 40 North Dakota. No problem. They will live. They are the most amazing survivors on this planet that I know of. I'm not a biologist.
0: Gotcha. Along with with roaches. The only thing will be left is hogs and roaches.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The last thing you hear before the world ends is a coyote howl, a hog, squeal and a cockroach make cockroach noise
0: well good deal um yeah i think we've we've really beaten to death the uh the pig idea but i'm i'm super glad that you're that passionate about it that's it's really refreshing
1: yeah i was kind of worried about i was talking too much i apologize
0: no that's all right um But now we're on to, uh, I think your, your little bread and butter project that you got going on musket powder is that that's a spice concoction you've made yourself. Am I right?
1: Pretty, pretty accurate. Um, yeah, so that going back to North Dakota, uh, that's where my mother's from. And so we've got a, we've got a farm up there. So I, I whitetail hunt and duck hunt out there a lot and due to some family drama, I hadn't been up there in years and years and years, like a decade. And I remember how cool it was and all the ducks and deer I saw. I was like, I got to get up there. I have to. And I, I was young and single and I was working on the rigs and I had two weeks off every month. And, you know, it's no secret. They they pay oil field guys pretty, pretty fair check. And so it's expensive to get there. I'm like, I got the money. Let's go. And so I went up there and within like, Two or three days, I made a friend with a guy who is now one of my best friends, and uh, in a town called Newburgh, North Dakota. And he has his dad runs a taxidermy school. And his dad had a student who, like, kind of had this rub concoction. And his dad took it and tweaked it. And then his son took it and tweaked it. And then I took it and I tweaked it. And I said, Hey, dudes. I'm gonna do something with this. do any of you have a problem with it? and they're like, no, not at all just uh, don't forget me in the event you actually can turn a profit and I said that's a fair deal so here we are I've you know made my own modifications to the modifications to the modifications so it's it's on um, it's a uh, it's it's got it you know I, I sat on it for about four years and then one night I just got sick of it and I said I'm sick and tired of everybody telling me to bottle this stuff. I'm gonna do it, and knowing nothing about nothing, I started a business, and uh, here we are. It's uh, it's doing really, uh, it's doing fair, you know. It's I'm I spend about two hours of every single day. I get to work an hour earlier than normal. Spend it two hours every single day, just uh, getting orders out, getting labels printed, uh, packing things to go out and, uh, you know, a little administrative work, learn how to do my own taxes, things like that. And, uh, it's been an amazing, um, experience and I started it in February. So I'm not even a year in. And the fact that the things I've learned in this amount of time, has just been crazy and the, I, I've made some friends doing it. And, uh, it's just, it's been great. It's, I really feel it's my calling. I'm, I'm just so glad i decided to do it
0: awesome that's a that's a great that's a great american tale right there um
1: well, it, it, if it gets successful then it's a good american tale yeah <laughs> but, yeah it it's it, you know and when we played with it it you know we turned it it was it, it was developed as a wild game seasoning because that's all we ate in north dakota everything was a red meat wild game we ate venison we ate goose we ate sandhill crane and we ate uh ducks uh, and then you know of course we got pheasants and walleye and stuff but then we're like hey let's try it on pheasant and it was awesome on pheasant like well, let's go shoot some hungarian or some uh sharp-tailed grouse and it was awesome on that like let's try a bluegill walleye squirrel and then it just turned into okay what is this not good on so then we started doing everyday stuff like let's try it on popcorn let's try it on pizza um you know we we, let's try it in a brine let's try it just every kind of cooking method you could think of and honestly there's a guy i know one of my customers he puts it on the rim of his drink before he makes some. His wife loves it on the rim, like a salt on a margarita. She loves it on the rim of her drink. I don't know what the drink is. Oh, but she man. loves it
0: probably like a Bloody yeah. Mary or something. Like that yeah, would be yeah, epic.
1: Yeah, yeah, And uh, we've put it on uh, watermelon. We've put it on everything, <laughs> and it's really, it's great. It's a, uh, it's just been, it's been crazy. It's just been so much fun doing this since February. My life's just been full of throttle, and I love it.
0: Well, hey, while we got you here, thanks again for listening. Dustin, where can our listeners engage more with us?
1: They can check us out on Instagram at huntavore.
0: They can check us out on Facebook, The huntavore, Or send us an email at huntivore
1: at gmail.com.
0: We've also joined the Sportsman's Nation family of passionate outdoorsmen. Um, They come together with lots of great content. You can check out their website at Sportsman'sNation.com. They're also on Instagram and Facebook with the handle Sportsman's Nation. Um, in fact, if you check out their blog, we have a recipes already up. And they are a 2% for conservation company, which means as a business, they give 1% of their time and 1% of their earnings back to the wildlife and wild places that we love. I think that's pretty sweet. Anyway, back to the show. I'm really excited to get a hold of uh, the musket powder. Um, just seeing it, you know, in use, basically online, just like you've said, it's been on everything. Um, you made a, one of your stories, you made pig head tacos. and. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I want to watch this one all the way through. And yeah, you slathered that thing with mustard and then sprinkled that musket powder all over the top. I think you went. It's kind of like where you're saying, like you add a little bit and then you just keep adding more. You know, it's like a musket load, but you're going to magnum at this point.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You you know, this is a a, you want a you know a red coat killing round uh, of powder in this one, but yeah, for sure The, uh, (laughs) the the pig head tacos that was. That was a total whim. Um, I was in West Texas. I was on a mule deer hunt. Uh, Full disclosure, I had one shot and I totally whiffed it at 400 yards, and I I don't know how that happened. I still have no idea how I missed that muley. Uh, But I was driving home and I had all these (laughs) giant coolers in my truck, you know, because I was anticipating hauling home a muley. And uh, when I used to drill wells out in West Texas, there was a grocery store that I really liked, and had the best, most authentic Mexican, um, I guess, ingredients. That the only place you could get better, would, would I imagine, would be Mexico. Uh, and working on drilling rigs, everyone—not uh, everyone, but a, a large majority of the the workforce—is Hispanic. And so I've, you know, growing up in Arizona, growing up in South Texas, and then working on drilling rigs, like, you know, good lord. I, I speak really good Spanish and my favorite food is Mexican food uh and these guys would cook this food that would just just make you cry it was so good and one thing that they'd always cook was they'd take a deer head a cow head a pig head a goat head any head of an animal and they'd slow cook it for sometimes days at a time and uh, make you just put it on a uh put the head on a uh, cutting board. You just take tongs and just pull the meat off and put it, still a, a tortilla. It's called cabeza, which is a Spanish word for head. And, uh, I was driving back and I said, you know what? I'm licking my wounds. I missed that muley. I have no meat. I'm going to stop in this store and I'm going to pick up all kinds of stuff that I can't get in Fort Worth. Uh, cause West Texas is, has way, uh, way more Hispanic influence. So they have this, this great store. And so I went in there, and they had just, it was like a playground for me. I was so excited. They had everything. And I went and I picked up this pig head, and the pig head was like, I don't know, eight bucks, just so cheap. And they had cow head, goat head, things like that. But I said, the pig head is, is medium size. I can figure this out. And I went online on how to cook it, and there was nothing. There was, I, and I wanted, I'm sorry, I want to do it in a sous vide because the proper way to do it, is uh to bury it in the ground um, but i wanted to do it in a sous vide and there was nothing so i just kind of did some math and some guesstimating and uh i don't know if you're familiar with the sous vide but you gotta vacuum you don't have to but it's recommended that you vacuum seal your meat before you cook it
0: yeah just um, that way you're getting at least the water right up next to the product there's nothing yes. there's not air holding it back
1: yeah yeah and that way it sinks so it doesn't float uh but yes you're right uh so we couldn't fit it in a sous vide bag. So my buddy's a dentist, and if anyone's good at, you know, making cuts on, on you know, a living organism's tissue, it's a surgeon or a, a dentist. And so we got a sawzall, and we cut the pig head in half, and the neighbors were thrilled. And, uh, <laughs> and so we vacuum sealed it two separate ways. We did it a spicy way, and then we did it like a traditional way with, uh, like you said, mustard and musket powder. And then we, sous- I think we sous vide it for three days. And uh, put it on the, gr- after we sous vide it, we pulled it out, put it on the grill. I had the grill going and we got uh, seared one side. Then we took a blowtorch and seared the other side and put it on a table. I had homemade tortillas. I also had a plan B, C and D just in case the pig head tasted awful. So I had like drumsticks and pork chops, and everything you can think of. And I had all these people over. I was a little bit stressed out and it was so good. Like, I can't even tell you how good it was. Uh If I may brag about myself, I did nothing. It's all the sous vide. Uh, that sous vide made the best pig head ever. I mean, that thing was a skull. It was like Lord of the Flies. After, uh, after the sitting in the kitchen, over. just this yeah, white, pearly yeah. skull. Yeah, I was hoping it wasn't going to start talking to me like it did in the book. But oh, man. Thank God it didn't. Uh, but it was uh, it was so good. It was so good. So I'm gonna try it. With I'm gonna next big wild boar I shoot. I'm gonna I'm gonna try it. I'm just gotta get the hair off. There's a certain way to boil, not necessarily boil. It's called scalding. You gotta get the temperature perfect, and you can scald a pig, and the hair will come right off. You know, with a little bit of help from like a blunt object, like a spoon or something. So that's definitely on my up and coming. I just need to shoot a, a giant boar.
0: Yeah, man. I, I bet the scald on that. You're gonna have to have hot water. Uh or I've also seen where they've torched them too, just thinking of all yeah. that long hair. But you're gonna go yeah, with the scald method method, huh?
1: I'm gonna go scald method. I've got like a like a good uh like a good guy who lives in the southeast, I've got a giant um what y'all would use to uh boil a deer head. We use them to do that, but we also use it to like cook crawfish, cook shrimp, and I guess in this case scald a pig head. So I've got a giant one that'll that'll fit two or three pig heads. I mean it's huge, so that won't nice. be a problem.
0: Cabases for everyone that sounds awesome
1: yeah it's gonna be fun i've already got a i i was back in that part of the state recently for an unrelated reason and i stopped at that store and picked up another pig head and it's it's in my freezer right now so just in case (laughs)
0: You, you got a domestic ready to go
1: yep ready to go at all times so
0: well good deal well hey ward we're getting down to uh, the crescendo here of our uh, okay. discussion, we're down into the two dish breakdown. Uh, you're going to describe to me two dishes that uh, that you 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 love to make or you've made before. Um, one is going the first one is going to be in the category of wild game, and I'm going to keep it inside of Texas. So you get to choose out of basically every animal on the planet that they have down there in oh, Texas. Yeah. So it's a wide, wide open scale, but give me your favorite Texas wild game dish.
1: Oh, that's gonna be hard. Um, okay, with all the variety of game, it, it's hard to keep something uh, considered exclusive to Texas. Because, like, I could say quail, but you know, Arizona, New Mexico, California have quail. I could say redfish, but Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida they have redfish. Um, so. I guess the best that would be would be a a Mexican dish with some Texas flavor and the Mexican dish is called barbacoa and it's best in my opinion in a taco but you can have it just on a plate and if you have Netflix you need to go watch the Netflix original show called the taco chronicles and watch the episode about barbacoa it's it's amazing but barbacoa is basically Mexican pot roast. Um, a lot of people, and I, you know, I, I am one of like six guys with a Pinterest account, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm not ashamed. But one thing that makes me just aggravates me about some of these Pinterest people is they'll be like, "Yeah, I made barbacoa in my kitchen, in um, I mean, you name it." Uh, Maine, where you know there's no Hispanic influence whatsoever, and they're like, yeah, and I used uh, brisket. Like, okay, technically she's not wrong, but a real barbacoa, in my opinion, is you got to have some undesirable cuts in there. So when we go to a Mexican restaurant in town, where it's all domestic food, uh, and you order barbacoa, there's a really really good chance that it's going to be the most like tried and true recipe, which is. Two cheeks from a cow and a cow tongue. And it's in a crock pot, cooks all day. It's incredible. It's so good. But to wild game it up, uh, people use a lot of stuff. Uh, you can use cheeks from a wild boar. Um, you can use the tongue from a wild boar. You can use the tongue from, a, uh, you know, any wild game animal, any any ungulate for that matter, uh, like a whitetail. Uh, but what I like to do is... And so, and I'll have uh, I'll have domestic cow cheeks in my freezer on standby just in case I can't get a hold of any pig cheeks because I would never try it with, with venison cheeks that'd be really gross. Uh, but um, what you can do is like right now I've got thawing in my fridge. I've got uh, two pig cheeks that I we actually shaved the hair off the cheeks. We did, I didn't want to mess with it, so we just shaved it off with a pick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> Did you use again, barbasol?
0: Because I feel like yeah. barbacoa it needs barbasol. <laughs> uh,
1: again, my wife is just so impressed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, I've got that thawing, and then I've got a, uh, I've got just a good old fashioned venison roast. And, uh, but I've done it with with pig tongue. I've done it with uh, deer tongue. I've done it with uh, tenderloins. I've even done it with venison tenderloins. Now that's a prize cut. So you don't want to go just chucking those in the crock pot, but we shoot quite a few deer so we can get a little bit spoiled. Um, so for places where you can only shoot like one or two deer a year, I would not recommend using your tenderloins because that's awesome. But I remember one time we were just trying to free up the freezer and we just threw them in and it, it was incredible. But the, the best part about it is that there's not a lot of ingredients and the ingredients that you need, you use them twice. So that being said, you use them to cook with and you use them to Garnish. So, yeah, yeah. So, what I like to do is I take a white, I, I take two white onions, I dice up one, I quarter the other. The dicing is for garnish. I take an entire bulb of garlic, cut the top off, cut the bottom off, leave the paper on, no big deal. Um, I take a handful of cilantro, chop one handful, excuse me, two handfuls, chop one handful for garnish leave the other stems on everything. You throw it all in a crock pot and even people throw radishes in there too, but keeping it simple, you throw it all in the crock pot and then you cover it with musket powder, which can be found at www.musketpowder.com. And you put in a little bit of water. Uh, I use, I'm, I'm a bone broth addict. I make all my own bone broth out of every living animal here. Um, I've got a, I, I pressure jar them all. So I have a pantry just full of bone broth, ready to go. Uh, I pour that on there and then you hit, you know, low for 12 hours. And while you're doing that, look up how to make homemade tortillas. It's surprisingly easy. It's in, in fact, so easy. If you go to Walmart, I guarantee you they have everything you need at Walmart, including the tortilla press. Um, so yeah. Really that's always
0: next. been intimidating. Cause I heard there you, well, I guess that's making the actual mesa itself or masa is you need lie in order to do that. I guess I, is that what, is that correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Masa, masa. Um, so one of the keys for making it is when you get the dough already, I take a damp washcloth and so you got all the dough in a bowl, take a damp washcloth, cover it, put it in the fridge for 30 minutes. Um, I, I am not a scientist, but for some reason the damp washcloth does something, and it makes it work, and it's ready to go. I've tried it without a washcloth and it didn't work. Maybe that was just you know the way the planets were aligned that day, but so I just stick to the the, the damp washcloth. Uh, so you let it cook. I do this at night, and then you go to bed, and the next morning you've got the best smelling house ever. And, uh, if you're doing it in the crock pot, if it's in the sous vide, you won't know, but if you're doing it in the crock pot, uh, then you open the lid and you just treat it like pulled pork, just shred, 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 and then start getting your tortillas ready. And then when the tortillas are ready. You pull them out, you make a little taco with all that meat in there, and then you garnish it with, uh, uh aforementioned objects like, uh, or, uh, vegetables like, uh, white onion, cilantro, jalapenos. I, you know, I know this is a dominant, uh, midwestern audience so I, I left the jalapenos out but we use a lot of jalapenos down here
0: we're, we're getting uh, better you know we're getting better, we're hey, getting better that, at man. it we'll we, we'll do a popper here and there but that's about as Woo, far as as long as cream down. cheese is involved you know the midwesterners are happy
1: <laughs> oh yeah and, and ranch and bush lattes you betcha <laughs> um but yeah so then you, you take that tortilla and you fill it with meat and then you garnish it um some people like salsa. Me, personally, I just feel that that's like putting A1 sauce on a backstrap. Just don't do it. Uh, but if that's your game, then that's your game. Um, and it is oh, it is my favorite. It is so good. And the best part about it is that you can make it with anything. Like I mentioned, that Netflix show, they use everything. They use goat hindquarters. They use cow tongues. They use you know, a sheep head. I mean, it's all just basically just meat that kind of – a lot of undesirable cuts. And then of course, a couple good desirable cuts, but uh, it's, 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 it's just a whole nother level of good.
0: I could see a lot of Michigan white tailed deer shanks being saved by this recipe alone. If guys would just take the time to save their shanks, I think barbacoa could be a huge hit up here.
1: For sure. Uh, the, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and another, and, and deer tugs. I mean, you put, you know, let's say, you got what four shanks of deer and a tongue, you know, you put all those and your buddy's shanks and your buddy's uh, deer tongue. And maybe to just as a filler, add something really fatty. Uh, I know y'all don't have pigs. You're lucky, but go to the, go to the Walmart and you know, I'd be, I wouldn't be shocked to, to know that there's um there's, there's cow cheeks at uh, at your local Walmart. Or like if there is a uh, Hispanic community in town um, or you have a friend who's like, of a Hispanic uh origin, you know, ask him. Like, hey, do you all ever cook barbacoa? Where do you get the where do you get the cow cheeks? And he'll tell you. That's you, you don't know unless you ask.
0: Yeah, it's very so, true. Yeah, yeah, I think and, we got yeah. quite a bit I think we've got some real nice uh Hispanic grocery stores up near Grand Rapids at least. I know there's oh. a there's a population there that would be that would probably be my first stop right there.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And while you're there, they've got pig feet, they've got I mean, every kind of strange things that we would turn our nose up at, but, um, it's so good. It's all so good. Uh we, I mean, uh, being in Texas and growing up in Arizona, we, I, Mexican food and Hispanic culture is, is just a huge part of my life. I mean, I, we eat Mexican food all the time.
0: Good deal. Well, man, we got a good start on our first dish. The second one, it does come with a little bit of weight here, Ward. This is your date night menu. You are, uh, you and the wife are staying home for your date, and kids are gone, and dogs are gone. It's just you and the missus, and you are cooking. That's the one stipulation. What are you making that you're going to serve to make this date go just right?
1: <clears> hmm. <throat> okay. I'll give you the abridged version. Um, so for the record, what I'm going to describe is on my Instagram page under, uh, venison pot pie. Before you roll your eyes, I'm going to tell you why it's different from one that you've ever had before. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I were to ask my wife, she'd definitely say venison pot pie for sure. Um, uh, so as I mentioned before, I, I, I'm a big, huge advocate of taking the time and making awesome, awesome bone broth. Um, when you can cook a deer meat, let's say you got ground venison, and you're making chili out of it, and you took the, the broth from the same animal, that, the same animal's bones, I mean, it's like a magical experience. It, it's yeah, there's unreal. something about it. Yeah, so... I'll make some bone broth. I'll roast my bones and then make a broth out of it, and it's like motor oil dark. I mean, it's it is like dark chocolate. It's so dark and it's so good. So that being said, I don't have time with with that kind of uh with that kind of uh, cooking method for making broth, which is very time consuming. I do not have time to make a pie crust. So I I concentrate my efforts on making a killer broth when I can just go to the store and buy a pre-made. Uh, Pie um, crust—that's probably better than anything that I can make. So I, that is my opinion. If you if you work really hard to make a solid broth, you can get an awesome crust just about anywhere, and it's so good. I take uh, I take a pound of ground venison and I take a pound of uh, venison sausage, and I, I nickel that up and cut it up and dice it. You know, brown both of them together. I love a good char, so I contradicting what I'm saying. I usually char the living heck out of my sausage first and then then dice it up, which gives it killer flavor. And then I brown up the venison. And then I cut up, um, let's see, celery, three ribs of celery, uh, a cup of butternut squash, um, and then I dice up a a small white onion. And while this is all going on, I take musket powder and just, you know, I I dust it on the uh, sausage. I dust it on the ground meat I dusted on the now browning uh, vegetables, um, which, by the way, musket powder has this ability to finish meat and vegetables so well it gives it a killer uh, char. Um, due to food science that I'm not trained in, but it, it always gives it a good <laughs> something, dust. So some sort of
0: magic dust in there.
1: <laughs> some sciency thing. So, uh, so then I take that bone broth that I just talked way too long about. And I get about three cups of it in a small saucepan, and I start boiling it. So I put that on the back burner while it starts boiling. Then I take another pot, and I melt some butter in there. And I promise you, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll give you a full recipe to this so you can post it on something because this is so vague. Uh, but I melt some butter, uh, butter, and I put it in a pot. And then I add uh, – how much flour do I add? Probably uh, – let me just flip through this right here. I've got the recipe. Let me pull it up. Shoot, I don't know. Uh, I add some flour. I think it's like a half a cup, um, and then you just stir it and stir it and stir it, and it'll it'll dramatically thicken. And then once that's all done, I take once that starts thickening, I I pour the uh, the meat and vegetable mixture into like a like a dish, and then once the 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 broth and butter mixture gets really really thick, I pour that on top. So like at this point my arteries are like starting to clog.
0: Uh, it's just <laughs> blood pressure I mean, is already yeah. starting to escalate.
1: Yeah. And I brought this recipe in, in effect because I spent a lot of time in the mitten state and y'all love butter. Oh my goodness. So I figured he'd like, you know, butter and and cream and, uh, and, and, and broth. So that being said, uh, so that poured over there, and then I get the, the store bought – and we have a really killer bakery in town. And I just go buy pie dough from them. I mean they make killer pies. Why would they not be able to give me some pie dough? So I get some really, really good pie dough from these folks. And I put it over the casserole dish, pinch it all off. Uh, I've got a chicken coop in my backyard, and I go grab one of those eggs, uh, beat it with a fork, and then brush the whole thing, brush the whole pie down with the, uh, the egg wash. And then um, – you know, poke a hole, a small hole in the center for ventilation. 375 degrees for 40 minutes, and my wife forgets all about the mustache. She forgets all about <laughs> the pig cheeks. She forgets everything, and uh, it's it's a good time. It's a good it's good food, and oh, uh, it, it, we it, unfortunately we can't. I can't eat it right now because I'll melt. It's so hot. I
0: was just gonna say <laughs> this, is, this is this sounds like a winter yeah. dish right here. You got, it's got to be cold.
1: Yeah, this is a winter dish for sure, uh, and I, we have a small window in this state for winter, but man, we we hammer it down, and it's cool. I mean, if you don't have venison and you want to try it out with you know ground beef or, or chicken or wild turkey, go for it.
0: Yeah, very versatile. that You can set it up. I, I love the way how you played it out. That yeah, you can mix. You know, you're putting sausage and ground into yours. Somebody can put pretty much anything they need to. In for I mean, one like, of these I don't know pies.
1: how fish would taste, but all, all the things I just mentioned—I mean, everything pairs with squash, onions, you know, and 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 butter. So,
0: gotcha. Yeah, butter go. butter makes it better.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for sure.
0: Well, Ward, this has been an awesome time. I mean, we're we're already well over an hour. Um, this has been great just chatting with you, hearing hearing down about Texas, hearing about how um you've come to be. Thank you for uh, taking the time to just join us. Um, This is your chance to do a full shameless plug here. Where can we find more about Ward Danger and where can we find uh, musket powder?
1: Oh, full disclosure on shamelessness. Okay. Um, Okay. I'm very active on Instagram. My uh, my account is Ward Danger, at Ward Danger, W-A-R-D-D-A-N-G-E-R. And that's my personal page. Um, I post a lot of stories. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. My wife's a lot of fun. She's really funny. So there's, she's usually makes a lot of cameos. Um, it's a lot, the stories are a lot of cooking. You can scroll through my highlights, see all the things that I've cooked. You can see, I post the things I've posted some brutal failures on there. So you can see that too. Um, and then on weekends when I'm working cows, it goes hand in hand with an AR 15 and, some dead pigs or a coyote. So there's usually a lot of, usually a lot of that going on in my stories. Um, My business page is pretty new. It's called at musket powder official. So musket, like, you know, revolutionary work on musket powder official. And that is a a page in the process. Um, Not a lot of followers. So that being said, if you want to come follow me, that'd be awesome. Uh, And on there, i have something along the lines of, you know, Fighting the stereotypes of uh, of the millennials and actually working for a living because I've I've got three jobs, and uh,
0: ain't no rest for the wicked, you know.
1: Yeah, and so that being said, I mean, most shameless thing I can say is you know, hey, I'm I'm trying to start a business here, and it ties directly into hunting. So I mean, support small business, support hunters. I you know, I really appreciate all the orders, and I appreciate all support.
0: Perfect. Well, Ward, this has been a an epic evening um i'm gonna have you stay on here for just a second while we uh like tie up with the the listeners here uh folks hope you enjoy and uh keep your knife sharp